I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off this past Sunday in verse 17, walking our way through the rest of Ephesians chapter 4. And as we do that this morning, the message is entitled, What Are You Wearing? How many of you have ever asked your kids that question? Maybe you asked that question this morning, leaving the house, what are you wearing? I'll never forget that my mom tells the story when she and my dad first met. She said, Michael, the first time I saw your dad, he was playing church softball. And she said, I'm looking and thinking that is a good looking man. And she had a group of ladies that were trying to set her up with my dad, and so she agreed to go on a date. And so in her mind, she remembered what my dad looked like on the softball field. That's what was in her mind. She said, Michael, your dad pulls up in front of the house and opens the car door. She said, I kid you not, he looked like a banana. He had a yellow suit on, coat and pants. She said, Michael, his shirt was a paler yellow color than the suit. He had on white socks and black penny loafer shoes. She said, I thought in that moment, there's no way this is going to work out. You know, as we think about the clothes that we wear, I want us to think about this morning something that Paul is going to introduce to us, what he wants us to understand. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we are going to walk with him in our lives, that it is going to look different than the world around us. In fact, there's two phrases that Paul is going to use, and as we read the text here in just a minute, I want you to clue in on those. You may want to underline them in your Bible, but Paul is going to say you need to put off something or take off something, and then you need to put on something. So let's look at the text this morning, and I want you, as we read through it, to take note of what Paul says here to the believers in Ephesus. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17, Paul writes, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we look at the text this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together as we continue working verse by verse through this book of Ephesians. And it's this reality, living out the Christian life, involves daily the journey of putting off the old self and putting on our new self in the power of Christ. Paul is going to lay out for us what does it look like for you and I, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, to live out the truth of our identity in Christ. Now, if you're new this morning, what I want you to know is that Paul has spent the last three chapters in the book of Ephesians helping us understand what it looks like for our lives to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What it looks like for us to go from dead in our sins to being made alive together in Christ. What it looks like for us to be deserving of God's wrath in our sin to being a child of God because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Paul has been harping over and over and over and over and over, church, and over and over and over again. Who we are in Christ. Our identity because of what Christ has done in our lives. Because here's what Paul knows. If we try to leapfrog over that, what we will look at as we get into these latter chapters of Ephesians is we will think in our minds that what Paul is laying out for us is simply a to-do list. That as a Christian, here's what you are to do. 
You do these things, you don't do these things. And that's what it looks like to live out the Christian life. But what Paul does is he grounds living out the Christian life not in a to-do list, but he grounds it in what Christ has already done. So many of us as Christians live our lives by a checklist wondering what does God think about us today versus yesterday? Did I live a better day today than I did yesterday? Do I get the check marks for showing up at church this morning, for reading my Bible, for praying, for not yelling at my kids when I want to? I want you to understand if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, when The Father looks at you. He sees Christ in you. He sees Christ's righteousness that covered your sin. So when Paul goes in and he begins beginning in chapter 4 and talks about what it looks like to live out the Christian life, don't divorce that from what Christ has done in your life. Live out of the overflow of what Christ has done. As he goes in here beginning in verse 17, I want you to notice what Paul starts with. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. As Paul writes that, Paul is not primarily speaking about ethnicity when he identifies the Gentiles here. In fact, Paul has already shared with us earlier in the book that is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is for every single person. Regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of socioeconomic background, any person who is willing to yield their lives to Jesus Christ can be saved from their sins and be made right in relationship with their Heavenly Father. Anyone can experience salvation. But what he says here is that for us as believers... Once we've been saved from our sins, once our identity is secure in what Christ has accomplished for us, the truth of that is going to be lived out in our lives. We're going to see fruit in our lives that we are following Jesus Christ. So notice what he says here, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Notice how he describes them. He's going to describe them in three ways here. That is, those that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, in the futility of their minds. So when Paul says here that they are walking, he is describing this is what their lives are characterized by. Their lives are characterized by the futility of their minds. What does Paul mean when he says that? Well, it is simply this, that their lives are marked by pointlessness. That there's no real objective in their lives. There's no real bigger picture in their lives. It's simply this, how can I enjoy myself now and enjoy the best life that I can live now? And that's all that they are concerned about. And Paul says here, That is not what should be true about our lives as believers. And why is that the case? Because we know that there is a point to life. 
Paul's laid out for us this truth that we know in our lives as believers that we are to make much of Jesus. That we are to live our lives glorifying Him in every single thing that we do. So regardless of what your job may be, your vocation, your mission, and my mission as a follower of Jesus remains the same, and that is to bring glory to Him. You may have come in this morning, and for you, you are asking that simple question. Why does life seem to be pointless? Is it worth living? And I'd encourage you this morning as you stay tuned in this message that what you will come to find out if you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior is that the point of life is to live in relationship with your Creator. That you were created by God to live in relationship with Him. And life will seem pointless until you realize the point is living in relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice he continues in verse 18. And he says about the Gentiles that they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So Paul says about those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, those who've not taken that step yet, not only are they living in a pointless life, but he says also about them that they have hardened their heart towards God. That instead of recognizing the beauty that Paul has laid out for us in the early chapters of Ephesians, despite what all Christ has done on their behalf, that they choose not to receive the salvation offered to them, but they have hardened their heart to the point that they don't want anything to do with God. You may have come in this morning and the reality is that's, where you are living. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you have been around the church. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you have been around Christians and you've looked and said, their lives don't look any different than my life. Why add Jesus in the mix of that? But I want you to notice this. That Paul says... For those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, that instead of a calloused heart towards God, which he says here, describes the Gentiles, that for us, we have been given a new heart. No longer are we callous to the Lord, but we have opened our hearts to Him. Paul says here that, The Gentiles are marked by their hardness of hearts. Notice verse 19. He continues, here's the third way. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So not only is their life marked by pointlessness, not only have they hardened their heart towards the Lord, they have given themselves over to worship whatever feels good. 
Whatever they think will satisfy the deepest longings of their heart, they have wholesale committed their lives to those things. You know, it's interesting to me in conversation with people who are very opposed to God just in general, I always ask them this question, what are you worshiping? And they say, well, I don't believe in God. And I said, no, you're worshiping something. You're giving your life to something. You may be giving your life to your job. You may be giving your life to the accumulation of wealth and riches and assets. You may be giving your life to any number of things. But Paul says here that that is true. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are giving your life to something. And he describes it here. To sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity may have come in this morning, and for you, that's where you're living. For you this morning, you are living there. You have a hole in your heart that you are trying to stuff as full as it can get with everything else that this world offers. And you're wondering, why does it feel empty still? Why can't I satisfy that longing that I feel? And the reality is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longing of our heart is Jesus. You know, you may look at this and say, wow, Paul's pretty direct here, isn't he? And yet what I want you to understand is in Paul's directness, He's also opened the door for us to see the truth of who Jesus is. And he says to those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, do you desire for there to be a point to your life? For your life to be more than just filling it with what this world has to offer? If so, the Lord stands ready and willing to forgive you of your sin if you will repent and turn to Him and wash you clean and give you a meaning and a purpose to your life. For Paul here, he's reminding us once again of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ directed towards sinners. As he continues, I want you to notice what he says beginning in verse 20. After describing the Gentiles, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he says to the believers in Ephesus, but that is not the way you learned Christ. He says you are different than that. You are marked by something different than what was just previously described. In verse 21, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. And here in verse 22, we encounter this first phrase. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You're taking notes, write down this first truth. If you are going to live out your true identity in Christ, it will require you to put off 
the old self. Now Paul writing to a group of believers here is wanting them to understand what does it look like to live a life that is vastly different from the world around us. I've told you this before, church, that people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ are going to act like people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But for us who do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, for us whose sins have been forgiven, for us whose lives have been transformed, Paul here says, if we're going to live this thing out in a world that is often hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will require us putting off the old self. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Put off something or take off something. Just imagine that Paul in this moment is think about putting on a coat. And he says here that you are to take off the coat of your old self. So in the power of Christ at work in us as believers, we are to shed those things that marked us prior to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We should look different than we did before we met Jesus. He says that this old self belongs to your former manner of life. It is corrupt, he says, through deceitful desires. So think about what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying, here is what used to mark your life before you met Jesus. Here is what it used to look like. He described it for us in verses 17, 18, 19. He gave us a glimpse of that. He wanted us to remind ourselves of that reality of what life looked like before we met Jesus Christ. And he says for us as believers that every single day is a journey of putting to death the old self in our lives. Now here's what I want you to understand, that when Jesus Christ saves you and forgives you of your sin, you are declared righteous before God, that there is nothing you could do or not do that would make God feel any different about you. But what we have to recognize and understand is that every single day in our life, we have a decision to make whether we will allow our lives to be characterized by what they used to be characterized by before we met Jesus or whether we will pursue righteousness in Christ. He continues on here and he says, not only are we to put off our old self. But verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And verse 24, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Think about what Paul is saying there. It is shedding what used to mark our lives before we met Jesus Christ, but it is living in the truth of our identity and what Christ has done in our lives. That we are to daily put on, he says here, the new self. That new self is created in the likeness, he says, of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So with that as the backdrop that he gives us here, remind yourself of this second truth. If you are going to live out your true identity in Christ, it will require you to put on the new self. Now here's what I love about Paul. Paul doesn't just say, do this, don't do this. Paul dives in and gives us a glimpse of what that actually looks like in our lives. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but someone tells you, hey, do this and don't do this. And you're like, can you show me? I used to have that conversation with my dad oftentimes when he would send me under his truck and say, hey, change the oil. I'm like, dad, I don't know what to do. He's like, well, you just, you just change the oil. And I'm like, dad, how about you get under here and help me so I can see you do it and then know how to live this thing out. What Paul does for us here is give us a glimpse of what that actually looks like in our lives as believers. And what I want you to notice is that every single one of us are going to find a point in these next verses where we go, ouch. Mm. Where the Lord through His Spirit and through Paul's writing here is going to press in on a part of our lives and say, hey believer, this is not in line with what it means to walk in righteousness and in holiness. So notice beginning in verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood. So think about that. He's saying here that Living in the old self, living prior to meeting Jesus Christ, lives were marked by falsehood. But he says to us as believers, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let me ask you as a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted him as your savior this morning, is your life marked by a commitment to truthfulness? Are you being truthful in what you say? Are you being truthful in how you live out your life? What about in relation to your employer? What about in relation to your spouse or your kids or kids with your parents? Are you living in truth? Because here's what we know, that for us as believers, that our lives should be marked by a commitment to truthfulness, not falsehood. Maybe you're thinking right now, Pastor, there's, there's a lie that I've been living out in my life. There's sin that is hidden. There's things that I'm trying to hide as fast as I can. I've not been truthful about this area of my life and I know right now you are speaking to me. I want you to hear me this morning. There is forgiveness. But it begins with the truth. You may need to have a hard conversation with your spouse leaving this morning. You may need to seek help for something that you are walking through that you don't want anybody else to know about. Can I encourage you this morning that as a follower of Jesus Christ, the truth will set you free. Verse 26, Paul says, Be angry 
and do not sin. You know, it's interesting that he phrases it in that way. Because oftentimes, anger is marked by sin. Maybe you're here this morning and for you, you're a follower of Jesus, but if you're honest with yourself today and if those around you were honest with you, they would say, you know what? You are marked by anger. And it's not a righteous anger, which is what Paul is giving evidence here when he says, be angry and do not sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. What he is referencing here is that there is a way to express righteous anger regarding something. But for us as believers, our lives should not be marked by anger. And maybe there's some confession that needs to take place today for you. Maybe for you, your anger has ruled your life. It's ruled your relationships. I want you to notice that it doesn't have to as a follower of Jesus. When Paul says here, allow your minds to be renewed, he is helping us understand that we are never going to reach perfection this side of eternity, but we should be growing in righteousness. Meaning for you and for me that if anger is marked in our lives, that we should be growing out of that. We should be growing towards not being angry. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Notice verse 27. I think it's interesting. Give no opportunity to the devil. Hear me this morning. When anger is present in your life, it swings open the door for Satan to get a foothold in your life. And for Paul here to believers, he says, don't. Let your life be marked by anger that leads to sin. Notice verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Our lives as believers should not be marked by stealing. You look at that and you can kind of gloss over it a bit and say, yeah, that's not not my problem. Not an issue that I deal with. I want you to go to the smallest area of your life and ask the question, am I taking what's not mine? Am I stealing from my employer? Am I stealing from someone else? Paul here says, for us as believers, our lives should be marked by doing honest work with our hands so that we have something to share with anyone in need. Notice verse 29, Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So our lives marked 
prior to Jesus Christ were by this, he says, corrupting talk coming from our mouths. Notice how he describes this. Here's the kind of talk that should come. Only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let me ask the question, believer, is that the kind of communication that you demonstrate in your life? You say, Pastor, you don't understand. I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. That one's not in the Bible. But hear me this morning, for us as believers, our lives should be marked by words that are building others up, words that are giving grace, words that are meant to encourage other people. So if our words are marked by tearing others down, about elevating ourselves above everyone else, Paul here says that is not what should be true about us as believers says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you look at verse 30, your mind should immediately go back to the previous verses in chapter 4 when Paul told us that the Holy Spirit of God comes and indwells the life of a believer at the moment of salvation and brings spiritual gifts that are to be used to build up the body of Christ. And here he says that when sin is present in our lives, that it grieves the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Shed those things in your life as a believer. Are you holding on to bitterness? Are you holding on to wrath against someone else? Are you holding on to anger against someone else? Are you holding on to slander? Is your life marked by malice, a hatred towards others? Paul says, let those go. And then in verse 32, be kind to one another. Imagine with me, if you would, all believers living out, verse 32, being kind with one another. Notice the next word, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me this morning Close your eyes, and as we transition to a time of invitation, followed by baptism this morning, you may have come in today, and the first verses that we read describe you. You're wondering what the point of life is. 
You've hardened your heart to the Lord. You're simply pursuing whatever you want that you think will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And this morning, you've realized what you're missing. That the point of life is a relationship with your Creator made possible through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross paying for your sins and my sins, was buried but didn't stay there, rose on the third day, securing salvation for you so that you could be forgiven and brought in relationship with your Creator, God the Father. Maybe the step for you this morning is to respond by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you have been convicted of sin that's present in your life. There's things that you've concealed. There's lies that you are telling. There's hidden things that need to be exposed. There's anger that needs to be confessed. You may sit this morning and you may experience a sense of shame, regret. What I want you to know is that God stands ready and willing to forgive this morning. That you are already His child if you are a follower of Jesus. That your sins are forgiven and you have an opportunity this morning simply to confess to the Lord. That you know what is taking place in your life at this moment is not honoring God. It's not marked by righteousness. It's not marked by growing closer to Christ. But that's what you deeply desire. And you ask God to forgive you. To continue the work of sanctification in your life, transforming your heart and your life to look more like Jesus. Father, we ask this morning that you would work in hearts. I have no doubt that there are those here this morning who have never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. God, would you open the eyes of their heart to the truth of who Jesus is? Father, if there are believers here, and I have no doubt there are, who are struggling with some of the things that we outlined this morning, or maybe things that weren't in the text this morning, but they know that it's not where they should be in their walk. Would you bring conviction of sin? Would you give them the courage in the next few moments? 
to hit their knees to confess that to claim your forgiveness over that to ask you to work in their lives to change them so that they look more like Jesus we ask that in his name amen I want to ask you if you would to stand an opportunity this morning to respond to the Lord. Maybe for you, you know you need to take that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I'd encourage you this morning, if that's you, to step out from where you are and to come down and grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand and just say, I need Jesus. Maybe for you this morning, you are a follower of Jesus, but there's sin that's present in your life that you need to confess before the Maybe you need to hit your knees at this altar and you need to spend some time in prayer. I want to encourage you. You respond to the Lord as He leads.